It might have been a little uh, deja vu for some of you who are uh, here with us uh, this morning as um, farther along we, we uh, sang that this morning and I also asked uh, Brother Kevin if he would uh, sing that uh, this evening and uh, thankful uh, for Don to uh, sing that in his place. Uh, Because I wanted to start off this sermon uh, talking about that song, uh, Farther Along. Uh, You know, that first verse talks about tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. And it goes on, while there are others living about us, never molested though in the wrong. And then we remember the second verse, when death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and drear. Then do we wonder why others prosper living so wicked year after year. And I I thought to myself, you know, I wonder what this uh, author was thinking about as he was writing the lyrics to the song. I I tried to do a little research on who wrote this, but it it came up uh, quite a bit of different individuals who were credited with writing this this hymn. And so I don't want to take the time to get into that. But uh, you kind of notice throughout that song, especially in the first and second verses, that Uh, He's quite upset. He's quite upset as to what's going on in the world, that others are getting away with such things. Uh, But then as we got into verses 3 and 4 of that hymn, uh, it's more of of a positive note. Uh, Again, we we sang a few more days to labor and wait. When when we see Jesus coming in glory, we'll understand it all by and by. And so that hymn there starts on sort of a negative note, but it ends in a very positive note. Well, last week, in the evening sermon, we studied Psalm 50 uh, by Asaph, and we kind of talked about Asaph a little bit uh, as we began that. Remember, he was a chief musician of King David, so he lived during the times of David, and he also was a prophet or a seer. And I mentioned before we dove into Psalm 50 that Psalm 73 was probably uh, one of his most recognized psalms that we sometimes study. And so that's what we want to consider this evening as we look in Psalm uh, 73. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 73. But again, just like that hymn that we just sang farther along, it begins on this negative note. He sounds... In Psalm 73, Asaph is going to sound like he's just, he's ready to give up. It's just not worth it to serve God anymore. He sees that the wicked are prospering in this life. He sees them getting away with everything, that they're getting anything that they want. And so he says, you know, basically, what's the point of serving God? You know, that should be me. I should be promised all of those great things being a child of God. But, I, but I'm here uh, without those things, and they're over there with those things. And again, as we end the psalm, we're going to notice that just like in that hymn, that, that Asaph is going to come back uh, to his senses, and he's going to uh, praise God, and he's going to be more appreciative uh, to his commitment uh, to righteous living. But we want to ask ourselves as we begin this lesson, you know, do I struggle like Asaph? Uh, why am I struggling when the wicked are prospering? Why do wicked people get away with their wicked deeds? Uh, is not God paying attention to me? Uh, again, does he care? I'm a child of God. He should be caring about my, uh, my situation. And sometimes, again, 
you know, maybe we all just want to give up from time to time. You know, it gets old. It gets old to see the wickedness that's going around us. And that's really what Asaph is describing here. So, again, let's notice the conclusion of Asaph as we, again, study this uh, similar to what we did last week as we go through uh, this psalm. And we're going to notice a few things. Uh, Let's begin in verse 1, again, of Psalm 73. He begins by saying, Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. You know, he, he begins there with the truth that, that God always blesses the righteous. However, there, there's something here that has called this belief into question. You know, something is jarring his faith. Uh, what's disturbing him? He says, that I almost slipped. Uh, not literally that, that his feet almost slipped, but, but he's talking about uh, his state of mind. You know, the Bible often talks about how our lives are like a path or a road of some sort, that we're on a walk, uh, and sometimes we run into obstacles in our life, and it unbalances us. And that's what here is is happening to the psalmist here. Uh, He's taking his eyes off of God for a moment, and he says that I almost slipped. Verse 3 says, For I was envious of the arrogant, and as I saw the prosperity of the wicked... That's the reason why he almost slipped. He was envious of the wicked. He sees them that they're living in luxury, uh, they're uh, they're prosperous, and he wanted what they had. Again, I'm the child of God. I'm one of God's people. But why am I suffering while they are prospering? Verses 4 and 5, he continues, For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Again, you know, this is, uh, the, this is the Psalms, and, you know, it's very poetical, and he's using poetical language, but he's basically telling us that the wicked are, they appear to be living in luxury, they're dying without fear, you know, they're living these long and healthy lives, free from hardship, they're just doing better than everyone else, and that's just not right to him. Verses 6 through 9, he says, Therefore, pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. See, Asaph, not only did it seem like they were prospering from Asaph's point of view, but he says they themselves knew it, right? They were boasting in this. They wore pride around their necks just like a necklace. They were showing it off. He says that their sins wouldn't be judged because uh, they would cover it uh, like a a garment. Again, their eyes are bulging with fatness. It's, uh, uh, again, uh, poetic language talking about they're healthy, they're successful, their heart run riot. You know, again, they're getting away with everything. Anything their heart desires, they are getting. And, of course, they were scoffing at God's people and at the heavens. You know, it's rather curious that the wicked, you know, and we even see this today, that they cannot leave religion alone. They are not content to ignore the righteous. You know, we can understand that when we're studying the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on faith. And when it gets to talking about Noah, remember it's told us there that by faith he built this ark for the salvation of his household. And by doing that, Noah condemned the world, we're told. He condemned the world because he obeyed God. He was obedient to God, and the others uh, did not. 
You know, uh, you know, I often hearken on my experiences at, at preaching school, but uh, again, there was another time uh, that we went door knocking. It, it was just outside of Knoxville in a very, very rich, uh, you know, well-to-do neighborhood we were in, and we were door knocking at this one house. It was the very first house that we came to, me and uh, one of my fellow classmates, and we knocked on the door. And we noticed in the driveway, you know, uh, very nice vehicles, motorcycles, all of these great man toys, you know, that, that, that men would, you know, love to own. And we knock on the door and a man comes out uh, wearing uh, his scrubs as if he had just gotten off of work. And we started to talk to him, you know, about the Bible. And we introduced ourselves and let, us, let him know that we are from the, the Churches of Christ and we were just in the neighborhood and wanting to set up Bible studies. And, you know, and he basically from that point on cut us off and said, you know, I grew up. Uh, in the church. I know all about you guys. And, but I no longer believe in God. And that hit us pretty hard uh, that he'd come out right then and there and told us th- those facts. Uh, he refused the Bible study. He wanted to go uh, nowhere else with it. And not that he said this uh, literally uh, uh, word for word, but we got the idea that he was saying, you know, why do I need God when I have all of this? Right? That's what the, these individuals uh, were in the view of Asap. Asap, uh, in, the, in those verses, uh, the, why are they prospering? Look at verse 10. He, he says, therefore, his people return to this place. The waters of abundance are drunk by them. See, the, their prosperity is getting attention and others, are, they may fall suit to it. Uh, they weren't just slightly influenced, but their, uh, their influence was abundantly uh, shown in the land. In verses 11 and 12, they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Again, the, the, the wickedness of these individuals was turning them into blasphemers. They were saying to God, what do you know about this? What do you know about our life? You don't concern yourselves what's going on down here. Of course, that's a dangerous thing when we begin to doubt the divine attributes of God. But Asaph, again, in his view at this point in his writing, you know, the evil people were at ease. They were enjoying the best of life without any accompanying rebukes or judgments from above. And again, when he's seeing this, why make an effort to live a holy life if that other life is so much better, if they're prospering? And so we're going to notice in the next few verses that Asaph's going to have a little bit of doubt. Look at verses 13 through 15. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children." See, the thought of doubting in Asaph's mind uh, was beginning uh, compared to the goodness uh, that arose. Should I continue to leave a, uh, lead a pure life, he says? After all, my commitment to the Lord has brought suffering, not success. You know, and we know in the New Testament, you know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you know, says the sun rises on the good and the evil. That it sends rain on both. But here Asaph is taking a step forward saying, you know, God is, is blessing them, that he's allowing them to prosper in this life. And if the wicked ones are the ones who are getting ahead in this life, why should I make an effort to live a godly life? Notice in verse 15, he says, I would have betrayed, he said, I would have betrayed 
the generation of your children. See, he had a lot of this doubt in his mind. He said, if I share my thoughts and doubts, you know, I'll potentially be a stumbling block before God's people. I want to share my faith and not doubt. I want to encourage, but not discourage. But he just, he doesn't feel right. He has this reservation of robbing the next generation of faith. But then we notice that a solution comes. In verse 16, it says, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. See, his decision to keep his skeptical uh, thoughts to himself brought him grief and distress. You know, it was really bottling him up. And then in verse 17, this is probably the most important uh, verse within this passage. This is the pivotal moment. Notice verse 17. It says, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. You know, that sounds uh, very familiar to us, uh, like in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son, which also happened in verse 17. Luke 15, verse 17, uh, we're told that uh, the prodigal son came to his senses and he came back to God. Well, we'll notice here again in chapter 73 of verse 17, the Asaph says, you know, all of these things are just troubling him and he's doubting. But until I came into the sanctuary of God, uh, then I proceed their end. You know, where did he find help and the assurance he needed? Where did he go to harmonize uh, the human experiences uh, with God's promises? It was the sanctuary of God. It was the place of worship, whether he's referring to the tabernacle or the temple. But from here, he was able to consider uh, the end of the wicked. And we're going to talk about this verse a little bit more towards the end. But he says now he understands earthly success is nothing in God's sight. If only we all could perceive our end, if the whole world uh, could perceive their end, you know, the unbeliever would start believing. The, the thief would stop stealing. The alcoholic would never touch another sip if we could perceive our end and know what lies ahead. Look at verses 18 through 20 as he continues. He says, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one wakes, O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. He says the wicked are in a slippery place, a slippery slope, whether they realize it or not. Remember, Asaph just began this psalm by saying that he, uh, he almost stumbled, he almost slipped. But the wicked, they are in a slippery place. You know, nothing can save them now. Uh, neither their money or possessions, their fame, their, their power. He says it's like a dream when one wakes. You know, one moment you're, you're here and you're prospering in this life. And the next moment you've been swept away. He continues in verse 21. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, when I was senseless and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. See, you can tell that Asaph is turning. Right? He's repenting of those, of those thoughts. Uh, he's coming back towards God. He, he's getting his senses back. He, he's confessing the folly of, of his former bitterness and envy that he started off this, the, the, this psalm with. You know, he, he had lost his senses for a little bit. I, I should have known better. I was acting as a wild beast. In verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterwards receive me to glory. He says, despite of all this, despite of all the hardship that's in my life, how I'm seeing everyone suffering in the world and everyone, or excuse me, that I'm suffering and everyone else is prospering, despite all of this, 
I am still with you, God, and you have taken hold of my right hand. Again, it's not that he's you know, holding on to God's coattails and holding on for dear life, but God is holding his hand, he says, and it's with your counsel, God, you will guide me. Well, notice as we conclude this psalm in verse 25 through 27, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. You know, Asaph here, he cannot wish for anything more in this life to have found God. You know, my body is growing weak and it's going to fail, but he says God will never fail him. And fellowship with God is the greatest experience on earth. It was for Asaph and it is for us as well today. And in death, it will only be strengthened. It's not going to be interrupted, but that fellowship will be strengthened. And those who are away from God, he says, they have no hope beyond this life. And then look at the, the final verse in this Psalms, in verse 28, as he concludes, he says, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. You know, th- this lesson has been made clear to Asaph. Again, he, he must continue to lead a life of a godly man. He must stay near to God. Uh, no longer thinking of those uh, doubts that he had, because whatever is happening around him, whatever is going on in the world, again, he realizes that godliness is the better life. Uh, it's not the, the powers and the riches uh, that, that they uh, seems like everyone is uh, contributing and gaining, but he says it's about being near to God. And the, the application that we want to make for us uh, in, in, from this psalm is that we need to have that perspective as well. That same perspective that Asaph had when he went into the sanctuary of God. You know, a lot can be gained in worshiping God together, singing uh, hymns to one another, praying together, coming to to Bible study to study with one another. You know, it changes our perspective on life. You know, when, when we come here, it's no longer about us anymore, right? It's no longer about my problems, but rather giving God the glory. It brings me back to reality. You know, I forget about my assignments that are due on Monday. I forget about that, maybe that big task that the boss has for me uh, this week that I need to complete. Forget about all of those things, all those things that stress us out in the life. When we come together and assemble and worship God, it brings us back to reality. It gets us that perspective that we need. You know, sometimes we need that pickup. We need that spiritual pick-me-up in this life. You know, that's what Wednesday night is designed to do. Wednesday evening services, midweek Bible study, right? It's that boost of fellowship we need to get us through to another Lord's Day, right? Because we leave here uh, on Sunday and we're going to possibly be away from each other on Monday and Tuesday. And we've been exposed to the world those couple of days. And that's what Wednesday night's designed to do is to give us that, that boost, that pick-me-up. Again, uh, as Asaph said, until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord, then I perceived their end. Right? We get that perspective again. When I came to the house of God, I understood. It's more to life than the problems I have, the things I'm dealing with right now. He's viewing Things through the lenses of eternity, right? And that's what we need to do as well. We need to realize that if we are a faithful Christian, 
we have heaven. You know, you and I know that we're not going to be here in this life forever. And if we were to live a hundred years, what is that compared to eternity? What is a hundred years of life compared to eternity? If I had to decide today between living a spiritually healthy life or a physically healthy life, I hope that each one of us would pick the spiritual side because that's going to last eternally. You know, ASAP says, you know, they can have their things. They can have their ease because he knows that the hardships in life, they drive us to our knees. And when we're on our knees in prayer, we, we go up to God, right? And so the, the ability to look beyond this present circumstances uh, to the promises of God, is, you know, that's the whole theme of Hebrews chapter 11. You know, one after another, uh, we get these Old Testament characters, these men and women of faith who are able to look beyond the here and now and focus on things eternal. You know, I think of Abraham as the best case in point. He tells us there in Hebrews chapter 11 um, that, that Abraham, you know, he left his homeland. He left the land of Ur, not knowing where he was going. He was dwelling in these tents, living as an alien in a foreign land. And verse 10 said, for he looked for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. See, Abraham had his mind uh, on God and, and searching for him and looking for him. Well, we all know the chorus to uh, the, song, the hymn that we just sang. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. This evening, are you ready to give up? See, when evil seems to flourish all around us, when our faith is shaken by heartache and pain and despair and illness, what does ASAP conclude? Move closer to God. View things in light of eternity. And if you do, you know, maybe the resolution of your problems, uh, they're not going to come as quick as you'd like, but they will come to an end. You know, again, we'll understand it all by and by. What's very unique about this psalm is that he gives us the conclusion of the matter all the way in verse 1. What does he say in verse 1? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. God is good. That's the conclusion to this whole, uh, whole lesson, this whole hymn that he wrote. God is good. And again, true goodness is not measured by what we may or may not possess. And this was the lesson that this psalmist needed to, to, to learn, and it's what we need to learn as well. See, the faithful Christian has a home promised in heaven. And friends, that is all we need. That is all we need. This evening, if you're here with us and maybe uh, you've been living the Christian life, but things uh, are not as uh, what they seem. Maybe you're ready to give up. Maybe you're on the verge of giving up uh, this walk with Christ. We would want nothing more to encourage you this evening, to pray for you, to help you uh, again in that walk. Maybe you're here with us this evening and you're not a Christian. Maybe you haven't put on Christ in baptism. You have not become or you have not gotten in Christ, as the Bible tells us we need to do. Uh, we would, again, we would love the opportunity to study with you, uh, to, to uh, make, let that happen if that be your desire here this evening. Whatever we can do to help you, we ask that you, uh, we, as we together stand and sing, that you come forward.